Okay. <laughs> this is really weird being up here talking to so few people, but that's all right. Uh, so today we're going to start a uh, study on the uh, word as a means of grace and be using the uh, larger catechism. It's uh, really questions 154 to 160, but I included 153 to give us a little bit of context. So there's a section of the larger catechism which talks about uh, the our really response to our condition as being under uh, under the wrath and curse of God. And that's uh, spelled out in terms of the means of grace, especially the word and sacraments and prayer, which takes us actually to the end of the, the larger catechism. What I want to do is focus on the word as a means of grace. But today I want to step back a little bit and think about the the idea of a means of grace and look at where this sits in the larger catechism because that gives us context for the study in general. So uh, maybe the first thing to, to back up a little bit right before this in the larger catechism is uh, study of the Ten Commandments and then, of course, the fact that we are all uh, under the wrath and curse due to us by reason of transgression of the law, which is what the catechism question uh, is addressing. And so... Considering those circumstances, what is uh, what is does God require of us? And the answer is that we may escape the wrath and curse of God due to us by reason of the transgression of the law. He requireth of us repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ and the diligent use of the outward means whereby Christ communicates to us the benefits of his mediation. So it's especially that last part, the diligent use of the outward means that we'll focus on. Actually, the catechism has already talked about repentance and faith as graces, that is, as, uh, as uh, good uh, gifts that God gives to us. So, this is the... so then the, the next catechism question asks, what are the outward means whereby Christ communicates to us the benefits of his mediation? And the answer is the outward and ordinary means whereby Christ communicates to his church the benefits of his mediation are all his ordinances, especially the word, sacraments, and prayer, all which are made effectual to the elect for their salvation. So as I said, I want to think about this uh, more generally, but let me just point out one word in this that uh, could be a little confusing. When the uh, catechism in question 154 refers to our salvation, it doesn't mean salvation in the narrow sense of justification. That is, uh, the catechism has already talked about our being justified by faith alone, but uh, here salvation is used in the broader sense of the application of that uh, grace that we have received in, in all of our lives, uh, leading us to sanctification and to uh, eternal glory. So to uh, understand a little bit about the means of grace, which is what this uh, catechism question talks about, I'd like to turn first to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. So 1 Corinthians 3, uh, I'll read verses uh, 1 through 9. Here, as you'll remember, the Apostle Paul is uh, addressing a Corinthian church which is divided, uh, in which there are uh, various conflicts, but one of the conflicts is a division of uh, in terms of favoritism of one minister over another. So 1 Corinthians 3, I'll read uh, verses 1 through uh, 9. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it. 
And even now you are still not able, for you are still carnal. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? Who then is Paul, and who is Apollos? But ministers through whom you believed, as the Lord gave to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. So I'll stop there. He goes on uh, to talk about um, the, uh, the rewards that are given according to the work. But uh, here, as I said, the apostle is writing in the context of divisions in the church. And especially you can see that in verse uh, 4 and verse 5, you know, who is Paul and who is Apollos? These were uh, their favorite ministers, and uh, they were divided uh, along those uh, the way they identified themselves with one or the other. So the Apostle Paul, in, in addressing this, interestingly, uh, points not to the ministers, but ultimately to God. So that's the, the point of verse 5. Uh, Paul, uh, I planted, Paul planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So this is really the idea of uh, means of grace in terms of the word. And if you like to press the analogy further, that would be the the seed that they planted is the the word of God. And what Paul is saying is that ultimately uh, God did use uh, Paul and Apollos, but it was God who gave the increase. The the effectual working of the word always comes because of the grace of God. There would be uh, no fruit of increase without him. And, of course, the, the corollary of that is that there's, it's foolish to boast in men, to, to boast in Paul who planted or Apollos who watered. So there, uh, the Apostle Paul is really exalting the work of God over the work of men to correct this uh, false uh, alignment of uh, different groups within uh, the Corinthian church with one or the other. Because he's saying ultimately it doesn't really matter because God's the one who gives the increase. But having said that, you should also notice, uh, we should also notice that the Apostle Paul emphasizes the high place that is given to Paul and Apollos and by implication to the ministry of the word. So notice that in verse uh, 9, uh, we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, you are God's building. The ministers of the word were in a sense nothing because it was God who gave the increase. But in a sense, they are very important because they are God's fellow workers. Now, that's a very impressive statement to say that they are working along with God. And, uh, of course, it is God ultimately who makes the word fruitful. Uh, This is the way the Apostle Paul wants to warn them against uh, trusting in uh, one man versus another or exalting one man versus another instead of exalting God, and yet not disregarding the importance of the ministry that God gave to each one of them. So that's, uh, I think, a good uh, preparation for looking a little bit more at the means of grace uh, in general. As I said, our focus is going to be on the word as a means of grace, that section of the larger catechism, uh, basically 154 to 160, that talks about that. 
But I, I want to reflect today, especially on more generally on uh, God's use of the means of grace and what that means. Okay, we talk about the means of grace a lot. I think this is an opportunity for us to reflect on uh, what we uh, understand by that. And I especially am interested in terms of where we're going in the study. Uh, the last uh, larger catechism question has a long list of ways we can profit by the hearing of the word. So my, if you like, my ultimate goal is something uh, more practical than talking about means of grace in general, but reflecting on how we can uh, better benefit from hearing the word preached and uh, in applying it in our lives. So as uh, it is called the larger catechism, there's a lot in the last question, as well as some of the others, about um, the word as a means of grace. But that emphasis in particular on how, how we can both prepare ourselves for hearing the word and how uh, we can hear it properly and then apply it after we hear it is uh, really where I want to go in, in the application. Okay, so uh, that's the introduction. I want to uh, talk next about uh, God's goodness that's shown in providing the means of grace. So there's sort of a, a trap you can fall in when you think of the means of grace. And when you read the word diligent in the catechism question, you can think, okay, this is, God has sort of handed it off to me and now it's up to me. I've got to do this work. I've got to make a diligent use of the means of grace. But uh, that's got it all wrong. Uh, the catechism emphasizes what the scripture emphasizes, which is God is overflowing in his goodness to us. God's goodness is shown in providing the means of grace that we're talking about. And uh, if you look back at question 153, I thought I could fit this all on the screen, but it's hard to, too hard to see, so go back up to 153. Uh, if you reflect on the things that God requires of us, you realize that the catechism and the scriptures teach those are all gifts of God. He requires of us repentance toward God. Christ gives repentance as a gift. He requires for us faith toward the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a grace that God gives us. And even the diligent use of the outward means, that's all in God's grace toward us. So that's the first thing I want to emphasize, that the, God's goodness in, is shown in providing uh, the means of grace. So you can see that even in 1 Corinthians 3, right? Paul is emphasizing it was God's working, it was God's goodness to you who gave you Paul and Apollos, and especially who gave you the uh, increase from the word. So let's reflect a little bit about how God's goodness is shown in giving us the means of grace. He has, uh, he has delivered us out of, our, out of wrath and condemnation in his goodness, but even in the last part, in, in uh, giving us ways that the means of grace are communicated to us, he is showing his goodness. And... Uh, it, you probably won't be surprised, but this is a there's a Trinitarian emphasis in the scriptures and that the larger catechism follows in talking about the word as a means of grace. And so here I'm going to back up quite a bit into the larger catechism. I did, didn't put it on the screen, but um, catechism, larger catechism question uh, 32 talks about how we are in condemnation and then it says, it asks, how is the grace of God manifested in the second covenant, the covenant of grace? And it says, the grace of God is manifested in the second covenant and that he freely provides and offers to sinners a mediator. So this is an emphasis especially on the grace of the Father, the love of God, the Father, in providing for us a mediator of the covenant of grace. So that's the context. There is no 
means of grace unless there is a mediator of the covenant of grace. But then, uh, especially as the larger catechism uh, brings up even there, it's through Christ that we have the means of grace. So uh, that's in question 153 there toward the end. The means of grace are just the means whereby Christ communicates to us the benefits of his mediation. Okay, so here again is sort of a, a place where it's easy to make a mistake. You can think of grace or the means of grace as like a conduit. Grace is an abstract thing that somehow flows to us. Uh, I think Sinclair Ferguson in his book, uh, The Whole Christ, uh, points out this this, uh, possible misunderstanding that we often fall into. Uh, Grace is simply the grace of Christ, right? The means of grace are simply our being united to Christ, simply receiving everything that he has for us. So it's, it's hard to emphasize enough that when we talk about the means of grace, we're talking about our union with Christ, or if you like, our enjoyment of that union with Christ, our communion with him. There are no means of grace. There is no grace in the abstract. There is only the fact that we are joined to Christ. And because of Christ, as the catechism question says, uh, we have the benefits of his mediation because of that uh, union with Christ. So God's goodness is shown in providing the means of grace and that the Father has given us his Son and the Son uh, is uh, procured these benefits for us and it's through union with him that we enjoy those benefits. Okay, so whenever we talk about the word or the sacraments or prayer, we should never think of them as apart from the fact that God has united us to Christ. Christ has obtained these benefits for us, whatever it is, sanctification, uh, looking forward to our glorification. But all those things that we hope to enjoy, we enjoy because Christ is our holiness, because Christ is our glory, and because we're united to him. Okay, so you know what the next third point is. That if, it, if it's from the Father that we are joined to the mediator, and if uh, the mediator uh, is the one who's procured these benefits, The uh, larger catechism in the scriptures also emphasize that it is through the work of the Holy Spirit, especially, that we enjoy uh, these benefits. So the Holy Spirit is the bond of our union with Christ. That's uh, Calvin's phrase. It's a very, very helpful way of thinking about our union with Christ. The Holy Spirit is the one who 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 uh, brings that union with Christ to bear to bear in our lives. And the larger catechism uh, brings this point out. I actually uh, mentioned this before in our study of the Holy Spirit uh, a long time ago. But uh, if you just go forward in the larger catechism to question uh, 155, for example. So I didn't put this up here, but the one after <clears throat> the two that I displayed. How is the word made effectual to salvation? The spirit of God makes the reading and especially the preaching of the word an effectual means. So it is the work of the Holy Spirit which enables us to enjoy the means. Okay, I'll come back to this, but it's easy for us to think that somehow the word works in us automatically. It's like all you have to do is hear it and boom, you get the benefits of it. Uh, no, it's the word as used by the Holy Spirit uh, that sanctifies us. And the Catechism also brings that out in connection with the the sacraments, and with prayer. All of those things are benefits to us only because 
it's the work of the Holy Spirit who is the bond of our union with Christ. Okay, so I want to emphasize that point, as I said, at the very beginning of the study, because it's easy to lose that when we're talking about, okay, when we hear the, the word preached, you know, we need to be paying attention, we need to reflect on it afterwards. There are all kinds of ways in which we can think God has put the ball in our court or whatever the right, sorry, whatever the right metaphor is, and it's our turn to do something with it. And there is a call to response. But the ultimate emphasis on all of this is that it's God's triune work. It's God the Father who loved us to join us to Christ. It's Christ who procured these benefits for us. It's the Spirit who is always applying the word, who makes the sacraments useful in our lives uh, to, to meet their appointed end and who stirs us up to pray. So when you think of the means of grace, you should think of the grace of Christ and God's goodness in uh, giving us uh, that grace. Okay, so um, let me pause there and see if you have any questions, comments, uh, thoughts about uh, God's goodness shown and providing the means of grace for us. I'm going to get something to drink. Yeah, yeah, and I'm going to come back to that a little in the other two sections, although I decided not to pick on other people as much as uh, our own hearts. Um, but yeah, I mean, you can think of this, uh, I don't think this is what Ferguson had in mind particularly, but you can think of a Roman Catholic view. Grace is infused into us by the sacraments. So it's like it's some kind of substance that you could inject or whatever. Uh, and there's a real danger in abstracting it that way. Um, I think there are some sort of weird sort of word of faith uh, groups, sort of extreme Pentecostal charismatic groups that also tend to think of the word in an abstract way. I don't know, but did you have some yeah, of That's kind of what I was thinking. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> I think there are some, uh, some sort of bizarre ways in which uh, that's done. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. Other questions? Okay. So uh, we talked about God's goodness to us and providing the means of grace. And now I want to talk about the uh, right use of the means by us. And here I have in mind uh, the danger of neglecting the means of grace, but also the danger of uh, a sort of a superstitious use or a trust in the means of grace. So those are the the two sort of cautions I have uh, calling us to a right use of the means of grace. So the, the first thing is that we should not neglect the means of grace. We should be diligent in the use of the means of grace. So, I, I mean, it feels funny for me to be saying that to people who just drove through 10-degree weather in the snow to come here. It's like, why don't you guys, you know, use the means of grace? Why don't you be in more church? Diligent. Right, be more diligent. Okay. So, but I guess we all need to be reminded uh, that that's the case. So, uh, under the call not to neglect the means of grace, um, let me mention two sort of temptations that come up. One is just to disregard the means of grace altogether. 
And um, here the, the temptation is to be uh, wiser than God. That's a, it's in the Heidelberg Catechism in connection with uh, the use of images, uh, which they condemn. But, um, you know, sometimes we think that even though God has provided for this for us, we don't really need it. You know, we know better than God. We wouldn't say that. But that's a, a temptation to disregard the means of grace. And you might say, after all, that makes sense because they're not really that impressive. You know, I mean, you come to church and you hear what some people might think of as a lecture. That's not what it is. Or, you know, what is this with the cup and the bread? There's not even enough to fill my stomach. You know, what what is this a little water? Uh, you may think of uh, Naaman the Syrian who was sent to be healed. wonder, you know, uh, what the king thought about that. But, uh, you know, he's, he was sent to be healed and um, he was told, you know, go go dip in the river. And he looks at this, you know, we have a better river back home than this one. I'm not going to do that. That's ridiculous. This is Second Kings, 11, uh, 2 Kings 5, by the way. So we might think, well, that's, that's kind of stupid because God directed him to the means of grace, in his case, uh, the cleansing from his uh, leprosy. But do we not sometimes have the same attitude that even though God has provided this for us, we think, you know, there are probably better ways uh, for me to grow in grace than this. I I think maybe I can just uh, commune with nature. I mean, this is part of the temptation during the pandemic, you know, to say I don't, it doesn't really matter that I need to be in church. Uh, and if I lose the habit of going to church, maybe I can just commune with God and nature. And um, why do I really need these so-called means of grace that you talk about? So a, there is a real danger in neglecting the means of grace and that way and disregarding them and uh, not really hearing uh, what God has said. Uh, I think one very important point that will be helpful in, in not thinking in those terms is that Jesus not only instituted the means of grace for us, that is, it is through union with him, uh, that we have those means, but he's actually the one who gave us uh, baptism and the Lord's Supper. But Jesus himself used the appointed means of grace in his own life, right? He was circumcised. He observed the Passover. Uh, again, are we better off than he is, that he should, uh, he should make use of them, but that we wouldn't? So I think that pattern uh, that Jesus gave to us is important for us to remember if we're tempted to disregard the means of grace. I guess that's, I don't know if we really need this or not, but good morning. Oh, well. All right. So that's uh, that's one comment or one temptation. The, the second temptation uh, would be perhaps just to take for granted the means of grace. And what I mean by that is you just sort of uh, show up and uh, see without any thought ahead of time of uh, what the value would be for us. Um, this is uh, really the focus of uh, the larger catechism question 160, which I said, uh, as I said, we'll, um, we'll talk about later what is required of those that hear the word preached. And as I said, this sort of goes on and on, but uh, one is, is simply that we attend upon it with diligence. Okay. So, uh, it's one thing not to say, well, it's one thing to say, well, I'm going to disregard the means of grace, but it's another thing not really to value what you have, somehow to take it for granted, just sort of show up. And as I said, since we'll focus on that more later, I'll, uh, I'm not saying any more about that, but 
there are serious warnings in God's word that uh, if we don't make use of what he has given us, they'll be taken away from us. There are warnings like that, especially toward the end of the uh, Old Testament period when there was a a time of silence, when uh, there were no prophets uh, to speak to the people. So this is a a very uh, sober reminder that we shouldn't, uh, shouldn't neglect the means that God has given to us. Okay, so that was uh, the first thing under the right use of means. The second thing under the right use of means is not to trust in the means. And um, here I'd like, if you would, to turn to Psalm 44. Uh, This is a fairly familiar psalm, but uh, here the, okay, we're, we're not talking about the means of grace unless you think of warfare, like literal warfare as a means of grace. Uh, That's not what this class is about. Don't let anyone get the wrong idea. But uh, Psalm 44, um, here the the nation starts out reflecting on God's blessing to them. And then toward the end, they express their perplexity because of their their defeat and their current condition. Uh, But uh, they say together, uh, reflecting on the uh, conquest of Canaan uh, by their fathers, they did not gain possession of the land by their own sword nor did their own arm save them. It was your right hand, your arm, and the light of your countenance because you favored them. That's sort of like what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians 3, right? God gave the increase. Uh, God may have used means, and sometimes in the conquest of Canaan, they actually did fight. Sometimes they stood back and let God uh, do the fighting for them in their history. But then notice the if you like the personal applications, possibly the king speaking in the portion after that. Look at verse 6 of Psalm 44. I will not trust in my bow, nor shall my sword save me. Okay, so here's a warrior. He's supposed to use his sword and his bow, right? That's what warriors do. But what he says is, I will not trust in my bow, nor shall my sword save me. And that's really consistent with the, the earlier reflection Uh, It's not saying that you should put aside the sword and the bow, but you shouldn't think that they have uh, strength in themselves as if they worked by themselves. This again is what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians 3. God is the one who gives the increase. So it's idolatry to trust in your sword or your bow. It's idolatry even to trust in the means of grace in the wrong way, as if uh, merely going through the motions of them or being in a church would be good enough Uh, Rather, you should look to God, the one who gives the increase. So again, let me let me talk about that under two sorts of temptations that uh, that we might face uh, in connection with uh, the means of grace. One is a uh, superstitious use of the means of grace. And uh, here this goes back, I think, to to Jeff, what you're asking about and what I was thinking about. One one way to trust in the means of grace is is to think somehow that the work of the means of grace is an automatic thing. And so um, I don't really have to express faith toward God and dependence on him to work. Uh, It's like you go to the station and you fill your car with gas. That's what the means of grace are. And that's exactly what the psalmist is warning about here. And uh, what, again, the the larger catechism uh, warns against. And there are... Historically, I would say that's especially the uh, 
danger in terms of the use of the sacrament. So, larger catechism 161, the sacraments become effectual means of salvation not by any power in themselves or by any virtue derived from the piety or intention of him by whom they are administered, but only by the working of the Holy Ghost and the blessing of Christ. So, the temptation to trust in the means of grace is a temptation to forget the second point that I mentioned, that is, it is really out of God's goodness that we have these things, and instead to superstitiously trust in them. So even the word is not a means of grace and blessing unless the Holy Spirit uses it, right? Plenty of people hear the word, but they hear it to their condemnation. So simply trusting that you're hearing the word and therefore uh, the word will bless you is a trap. It's a danger. Uh, We need to not trust in our sword or our bow. We need to trust in the one who uses uh, the means he has appointed for his blessing. That may seem like sort of a subtle point, but I think it is something uh, that we can fall into and uh, I want to warn against. The second temptation is uh, really uh, the temptation of the hypocrite. So for, for that, I'd like to turn to uh, Jeremiah chapter 7. <clears throat> Sorry, we're just looking at references pretty briefly today, and they're, they're more, like I said, analogies with our current situation. Although we're not doing swords and bows now, we're doing temples, so we're a little bit closer to uh, our own uh, circumstances. Uh, Jeremiah 7 is this uh, famous temple sermon of Jeremiah. So he he addresses uh, the people and he especially warns them that they're not hearing his word because they think that the presence of the temple is a guarantee of God's presence and therefore a guarantee that the Babylonians won't destroy them. (laughs) Okay, so there's a, a kind of understandable reasoning there, except it completely misses the point of uh, the gift of the temple. So Jeremiah 7, uh, verse 4, do not trust in these lying words, saying the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord are these. So there's this threefold repetition because that's all he ever heard from them, right? Jeremiah, you say God is going to condemn us. He's going to destroy the city. The temple is going to be uh, burned to the ground. But Don't you understand? This is the temple of the Lord. That can't happen. And then if you go down to verse uh, 14, you see how uh, that works out. So let me me go back to verse 12. Um, But go now to my place, which was in Shiloh. So remember the tabernacle was in Shiloh. Um, It's connected with 1 Samuel. Uh, Go now to my... uh, place which was in Shiloh where I set my name at the first and see what I did to it because of the wickedness of my people Israel and now because you have done all these works says the Lord and I spoke to you rising up early and speaking but you did not hear and I called you but you did not answer okay so here we go therefore I will do to the house which is called by my name in which you trust and to this place which I gave to you and your fathers as I have done to Shiloh and I will cast you out of my sight, so I've cast out all your brethren, the whole posterity of Ephraim. Okay. So that would have gotten their attention, because they knew what happened at Shiloh. They knew 
the judgment that God brought on them. And he's saying, you're trusting in the temple instead of trusting in God and responding to his word, and the judgment will come upon you. So there is a a danger that we can think of ourselves as somehow spiritually safe if we go through everything that we're supposed to go through in church, and particularly if we use the means of grace, we can somehow think that we're safe, we're doing well in the Christian life because we're doing these things. We're trusting in the means, essentially. But the means are never supposed to be passively used. They're always supposed to be used with an active trust in the God uh, whose gracious gifts they are, and a looking to Christ, especially as uh, the one who is giving us the benefits of the covenant of grace. Okay, so those are, some again, some general warnings or cautions about the right use of the means of grace. Uh, any comments or questions about that? Dan. Yeah, right. How central, I guess, pun intended, it is to find the balance between the divisions. This just comes up a lot in so many different contexts. On one hand, the ditch of neglecting something, in this case, the meaning of grace, uh, there's the same context in my life as this upcoming study that I've talked about a little bit that's coming up for and so on. The neglecting of the means of grace here can happen there where you kind of just neglect God. Um, you neglect what God's ordinances are, what he's set up on the one hand, or the other ditch is you start to just trust in those things. You're like, well, I do these things, and mm-hmm. therefore I'm right. good. Yeah. And you never say it that way. Nobody ever says it that way. But that's what kind of is really going on. So I don't by this constant pull toward the center of balance to realize it's neither one of these things. These are digital things. Yeah, that's right. And it's, uh, I mean, when we get in the middle of a study, like of the word as a means of grace, then, you know, while we're studying that, we're not thinking about our perspectives. That's why I'd like to keep coming back to that, that point exactly, that it's like a sort of a tightrope. You know, you need to make sure. And I think the thing that centers us is that point that I made that, we should always remember grace is not some abstract thing. It's Christ. And it's always Christ is graciously chosen to give us his uh, communion with him in this way. So walk in that way. But, you know, it's easy to forget that. It's easy to think, okay, i got to show up for church. i got to take notes or whatever, you know. Uh, yeah. Or because I do that, everything's fine or whatever. Yeah. I think that's right. That's a, that's a very important point. Other comments? Okay, so I, I just have a, a few points in uh, conclusion, and they're seemingly random, maybe not connected, but uh, they didn't fit elsewhere either. So, okay. So the first thing is just, as I said, an encouragement as we go into this study that uh, God has been good to us. Uh, we, we should always reflect when we think about our own duty 
to realize that it is only a duty in response to a grace given to us. And in fact, it's a duty in the context of grace given to us. It's always Christ who is communicating to us the benefits of salvation, of his mediation. That's what <clears throat> that's what we're talking about always. And that assurance is there at the end of that larger catechism question, 153, uh, or sorry, 154. These are made effectual to the elect for our salvation. So this is the way that God has appointed for us to walk as we anticipate the uh, beatific vision, as we anticipate being with God forever. He's appointed this way to walk in, to prepare us for that destination. And that is... What seems like something, as I said, perfectly ordinary, the word and sacraments and prayer. Why? That doesn't sound like anything as glorious as what we're going to, but God has said that this is what he will make effectual to us for our salvation, and uh, <clears throat> we should be grateful and walk in that way. Uh, second thing, <clears throat> excuse me, is that um, just sort of taking a larger perspective in terms of the church and the ministry of the church, um, this understanding of the means of grace is going to shape the ministry of the church. So, like I said to Jeff before, I, I wasn't really thinking of taking, you know, criticizing other churches and other ways people do things, but um, one way to think about Presbyterian churches, at least uh, <clears throat> more conservative Presbyterian churches, is that they are the ones that are shaped by the ministry of the means of grace. Right? There are other things that you could think about doing to get a crowd in, or to get people excited, um, and no doubt those are effective at getting people excited, but uh, we should be content with using the means that God has appointed, and that understanding is going to shape the way the service looks, uh, the way we speak to other people about our faith, um, the way we live our lives, uh, but especially, as I have in mind, the way a church functions. Uh, third of all, um, the larger catechism is emphasizing the public means of grace. So uh, that's more or less what the second catechism question that we had up talks about. <clears throat> so it's going to talk about the word, but especially the word preached. Um, that doesn't mean that these things are in isolation with the rest of our Christian lives. And it doesn't mean that there's nothing else uh, connected with uh, the Christian life that's important. I don't know how many negatives there were in that sentence, but that wasn't very good. Um, that is, there are other things that we do that are also important in the Christian life. So someone might ask, isn't the fellowship of the saints a means of grace? And the answer is, well, it's not listed here by the catechism, uh, although the catechism and confession talk about it elsewhere. Um, and I think probably the reason is that it's expected that the fellowship of the saints should be centered in the word and the sacraments and prayer. So, so for example, one of the things, if we ever get to the where we want to get to about you know how to benefit from hearing the sermon, one of the things the catechism talks about is, I think the word they use is conferring about sermons, which uh, maybe doesn't communicate as well as like a sermon discussion. Okay, so that's something that where the fellowship of the saints is crucial. We don't just hear the word in isolation; we hear it together. And we can share together what we learn from it. So even though we're talking about some specific things, uh, and you might think of lots of other ways the word is rich in our lives, and 
right? It should be reinforced in private and family worship, for example. Uh, we're going to tend to focus on the public means, although try to draw in uh, others. Um, the Lord's Day somehow being, you know, a large context in which all these things occur. So I, I want to say that up front. It, it's sort of, uh, I think, especially to the contemporary ear, focusing only on those things sounds like you're missing out on all the other things that you could do as a church or is in the Christian life, you know, walking through the woods and thinking about the glory of God. I think the catechism is saying, okay, that's fine, and those things are important, but central uh, to all of those things, and uh, that without which all those other things are really not effectual, is is what God has appointed um, in the word and sacraments and prayer. Okay, any uh, comments or questions? don't know how provocative that bit was about, a, you know, other churches or anything. Uh, thoughts about that? Okay, so Lord willing, uh, next week we'll pick up with the uh, discussion of the uh, word as a means of grace and the, the larger catechism has several questions. It's questions 154 through 160 is really the, the heart of the discussion on the, the word as a means of grace. That's the plan for next week. So let's... Uh,